Welcome to episode 54 of This Nazarene Life, stories of young Nazarene clergy and their role models. This episode is sponsored by Nazarene Theological Seminary's Center for Pastoral Leadership. The NTS CPL provides lifelong learning opportunities for clergy and ministry leaders through written and video resources and high-quality continuing education events. And hey, TNL listeners, when you register for the 2018 Preachers Conference, use the discount code TNL10 for 10% off. Register for the conference today over at nts.edu preach. Today on the podcast, we have Shane Burt Miller, young adult pastor at Bronx Bethany Church of the Nazarene. And stay tuned to the end of the episode where we will hear from one of you about your Nazarene life. Thanks for all you do for young pastors, and thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Britt Bullerjack, and I'm here with my guest, Shane Burt Miller. He's at Bronx Bethany Church of the Nazarene. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Well, thanks for taking the time. So the first question that I ask everybody is, how did you end up in the Church of the Nazarene? How did I end up in the Church of the Nazarene? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, I really feel like I was a part of the Church of the Nazarene before I was born. Uh, my my parents uh, actually got connected uh, to the Church of the Nazarene in New York. Uh, they are originally from Jamaica. When they came to uh, New York, they were looking for a, a good church home, and, and they actually heard about Bronx Bethany, and they went and checked it out, and the rest was history. Uh, I was raised in that church from from birth pretty much um, and got involved in it as well. So that's kind of how I got connected to the Church of the Nazarene and, and learning more about what, what it meant to, to be a Nazarene. Hmm. So tell us about your call to ministry. How did you end up wanting to be a pastor? Well, it's interesting. I, I never thought that I would ever be doing anything close to what I'm doing now as it relates to pastoring. Mm-hmm. Um, Growing up, I was involved in the church, but I I felt like I was doing a lot of things because that's what my parents wanted me to do. Mm. I remember sometimes on a Sunday morning, I would just want to remain in my bed sleeping, you know, and my mother would threaten to throw ice water on me and all (laughs) these kind of things. And so I had to be in church every Sunday. Nice. And what I realized is that my relationship with God was really solely based on my parents' relationship with God. And I didn't really have my own conscious relationship. Um, mm. And so as I would go to church, I wouldn't be focused at all on what the pastor would be saying. Um, I would really be sitting in the back. It was kind of like a social club for me, uh, you know, talking to the girls, doing all these kind of things in <laughs> church. And as I began to, to get older, what happened was I, I really began to have one foot in the church and one foot outside of the church. Mm. Uh, I mean, I was involved in church physically. I was even doing ushering and involved in Bible quizzing at times and doing all these different things. But I, ho- I had a whole nother life outside of the church mm. as well, which was a life that I know wasn't pleasing to God. 
And what happened was I began to grow farther and farther away from the things of God. Mm-hmm. So much so, so that I, I found myself caught up in, in gang activity. I actually became a member of the, the blood gang in the uptown part of New York City. And, you know, it's crazy because you think about this, this kid that is raised in the church actually now having this double life, uh, getting involved in things outside of church that nobody even really knew much about. Yeah. And so, yeah, I got involved in gang activity, uh, sexual immorality, pornography, all of these things that the devil began to consume my mind with to try to really destroy the purpose that God had for me regarding my life. Mm. And so as I began to get older into my teenage years, I drifted further and further away from the Lord and really got consumed with a lot of those things. Yeah. And in the midst of all of that, though, my, my parents knew something was up. My, my mother knew that something wasn't right about what was going on with me. And she never stopped praying. I, I have two younger brothers. I'm the eldest. And, you know, I, I wasn't concerned about the example that I was really setting for them. And mm. my mother just really kept praying. And she was the mother that would really fight for us to have the resources that we need to to succeed. And Mm. so she would always sign us up for like early Saturday morning college prep classes, all these different things when I was in high school. I used to hate it then, but I definitely don't regret it now. And so being the mother that she is, she signed me up to go uh, on some trips with the church. And Mm. one trip that she signed me up to go to was uh, a trip called Nazarene Youth Conference. And this was going to be taking place in St. Louis, Missouri at the time. And, you know, I was like, okay, I, I like I like traveling. And so I went on this trip. And I remember it was like from July 10th to the 15th. And then I go on this trip. And, you know, I'm meeting all different kinds of people. And my mindset at the time was not focused on God. So yeah. My, what I remember was I was meeting girls from like Alaska, California, like all over the place, <laughs> trying to get numbers, all these kind of things. And, you know, I, I really kind of left with that same mindset, but I believe that seeds were being planted in me. Uh, I remember that was the first time that I heard how great uh, is our God. Mm. And it was sung a cappella, and it was 10,000 young people from all over the country singing. You know, I remember, I remember snippets of these things. Yeah. And so I believe seeds were being planted. And then after that trip now, I remember that summer, summer of 2007. After that, after NYC, um, my my family, like I said earlier, is originally from Jamaica. And Mm -hmm. so I went to Jamaica to, to visit some of my family. And in fact, I have two uncles on my mother's side who are in ministry, who are pastoring. Oh, wow. And so when I went out there, uh, they would try to talk to me about my life and talk to me about God, including some of my cousins who would try to talk to me as well. Mm. And I would always say, yeah, I'll just go through one ear and out the other. But again, I say seeds were being planted. I didn't want to hear what they had to say then. And I kind of really rebelled from what they were telling me. Uh, mm. One of them even mentioned that, you know, you know, you, you, you are going to be a pastor. And I'm like, you know, this guy is crazy. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> and so after that Jamaica trip, I, I come back to New York ready to get back into the gang life. You know, the girls, everything that I was involved in, ready to just pick up my life. And and that was actually a critical summer. It was the summer before my last year in high school. Okay. And um, God had other plans because my, my brother 
my middle brother, Joel, he was going to go on a discipleship retreat that year mm. uh, um, when I got back. And it was a youth retreat, discipleship youth retreat. But he had forgotten to get a permission slip from the youth pastor to go. And so my father took him and I was with them when he went to get it. And then the youth pastor at the time asked me if I wanted to go uh, on this trip. And I was very hesitant because to give him an uh, answer because I was supposed to go to a party that Saturday night of that weekend. But then he mentioned it was going to be at a nice hotel, you know, good food, free, everything. And, you know, if, you, if there's one thing you want to know about me is I love great food. I love good <laughs> food. And I know a lot of other people can relate to me. Sure. It's funny what God will use to get you where he wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And so I called up my friend and I told him I'm not going to be able to make the party because, I, you know, I like to travel and I like to, to go to places. And so I, I decided to go on this trip. It was going to be in Connecticut. And I decided to go. And so I went on this trip and throughout all the prayer and the, the discussion that they were having there, I really sensed the Holy Spirit que- allowing me to question what I was doing with my life. And really hearing him say I needed to get my life together and to really surrender to God. Mm. And so I remember the Saturday night through the prayer time, I really broke down into tears. I didn't know what was happening. I was never the type to really break down into tears or anything like that, especially in front of people. Mm. Um, And so I broke down into tears there and and I I really surrendered my life to God. Like I, I, I was able to actually make sense of it. And God was saying he wanted me to to really surrender to him. Mm. And so I did. And I remember praying for four specific things. God, let me know what you want me to do with my life, because I don't know where I don't know what what I need to be doing. So and then I, I prayed, God, show me what college I need to go to, because this was my last year of college that I was going into. Um, and I, I also asked him to really forgive me. Let me know that my sins are forgiven. Let mm. me know that you're with me. And then the final prayer was to protect me from the gang life. Because mm. if you know anything about that, it's really hard to get out of it once yeah. you've gotten involved in it. Mm. And so after I prayed those things, I called one of my friends who was in the gang with me. And I told him what I had just experienced. And he began to laugh and he was like, are you high right now? He thought I was high because he didn't know what I was explaining to him. Mm. And I'm like, no. And then after he realized the seriousness of, of what I was saying to him, he asked me, what am, what are you going to do? And I told him, well, well, he said, are you going to fight to get out? And I told him, well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just going to do what I'm sensing I need to do. I'm not going to go to the gang meetings anymore. I'm not going to wear my gang uh the the all of the elements that of the things that you would wear uh to signify that you're in the gang the beads the 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 colored bandana flags i'm not going to wear these things anymore and i am just going to trust god and he's like okay well do you and the amazing thing to note is that uh eventually this young man actually followed and gave his life to Christ as well, too. Oh, wow. And he's serving um, in the church as well. Praise mm. God. And so after this retreat now, I go back into my neighborhood where I was involved in my gang with. And I, and I went back to school in the South Bronx. So I, I live 
I live in the Northeast Bronx, right? The Wakefield area of the Bronx, 241st Street. And I went to high school in the South Bronx, Taft High School, Mm. the South Bronx. And I was involved in the gang in both areas. And so when I went back to my specific neighborhood now in 241st in the Northeast Bronx, and I began to share about my decision to leave the gang and to do what I'm doing now, you know, to my amazement, the, the the gang members were actually understanding. And part of that may be because they knew me. We kind of grew up together. They knew me even before I got involved in the gang. But some who didn't know me like that around my neighborhood, they respected for some reason what I was doing. Wow. And it was interesting. I experienced the same kind of response when I went back to my high school in the South Bronx. I remember one individual in particular. Uh, his nickname was Tank, and when I mentioned to him about my 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 transition and and me um, doing what I feel God calling me to do now, he he's this was his response. I see that you're doing you, uh, and that's what's up. That's cool. And then he just kept it moving, and I thought he would have fought me right at that very moment. Wow. I, I knew he would have fought me, but what I began to realize was that the Holy Spirit was actually protecting me and walking with me in the midst of all that I was doing now for God. Mm. And let me tell you, after that retreat, that discipleship retreat, and I prayed these prayers and I surrendered my life to God, I began to sense that there's something different about me. And I couldn't, I wasn't meant to fit in. And what I began to sense was actually this this call to ministry on my life. Mm. I, I began to feel a passion, a deep passion to spread his word and to teach his word to people. And when I went back to my high school, which is a public high school, you know, there's no support of Christ like that officially in the school. When I went back, I felt led to start up a Bible study in the public school during the lunchtime, every Wednesday. And so I would pack up my book bags, drawstring bags of Bibles from my house, take them on the bus and the train with me every Wednesday for lunchtime so that I could have Bible study there in lunchtime. At first, people thought I was a joke. When I came back to school, people were like, this guy is crazy. Like, it's a joke. This is not real. <laughs> this is the gang member Shane. He'll mm. get back to that eventually. And when they actually saw my consistency and when they actually saw that I was living out this life mm. for Christ, they began to really see for themselves that this was true, that there had been a transformation in my life. And people started coming to the Bible study, which was amazing. And, you know, one day I remember coming home from school and my mother was on the computer and she was looking up scholarship information for me and college information for me uh, regarding college. And then she asked me what I thought about Eastern Nazarene College. And I had a friend who had opted not to go there because it was a bit expensive. And I told my mom, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about the money for that. And then she was like, well, we'll look up scholarship information and loan information if we have to. Don't worry about that. And I was like, okay. And then I just went into my room and I started talking to one of my friends on the phone. When I had that, when, when I was talking to my friend on the phone, my father, he was taking a shower and he had the radio full blast. So I know he couldn't even hear what I was saying to my friend or even the conversation with my mom right before that. And when my father finished, Uh, He actually came into my room. It looked like he wanted to talk. 
about something while I was on the phone. Mm. And then he said, oh, you're on the phone? I was like, yeah. And then he left. And then I just felt led to call him back. And so I told my friend I'll call, I'll call him back. And I called my dad back into the room and uh, to talk with him. And he said, this is what he said. He said, I just want you to know you don't have to worry about money or anything like that for school because the Lord will provide. Mm. And at this time, I'm a little perplexed. I'm like, uh, did you just speak to mom about the conversation that we just had? Yeah. And he's like, no, why, what happened? And I just knew that that was the Holy Spirit just comforting me right there and mm. there, then and there, and I didn't have to worry. And I actually did apply to Eastern Nazarene College and actually I got an early acceptance there and they provided a, a, financial, a, a great financial packet for me to go there. And so I, I found myself uh, going to, to Eastern Nazarene College, which was amazing. Wow. So before, before I went off to college now, um, there were some revival uh, taking place at our church. We have a, a yearly revival mm. uh, series at our church. And the guest speaker, when I went, his name was Alicius Joseph. And he was from Barbados, I believe. Mm. And... He came to the church and he was doing a lot of different things that I wasn't used to, you know, touching people, them falling down, all these things that I would see on TV. I was very skeptical. Yeah. And it was a four night event. And so at the beginning of the revival, uh, I would see people go up and, you know, it was a lot of different things that was being experienced, deliverance, things taking place. And so on the Tuesday night, I said to one of my friends, all right, let's go up to the altar. Let's see if this is real. And so we went up there and another one of our, my friends joined us. And then the, the, the guest speaker, he was on the other side of the altar. Then he came over to us and then he put his hand on one of my friends and it looked like he was prophesying. He was saying some stuff to him, which made some kind of sense. It seemed like it made sense, but I still wasn't too sure about it. Same thing for my other friend that he did. Then he put his hand on me. And he, this is what he said. He said a couple of things. He said, I see that you used to follow God, but you stopped and you recently recommitted your life to him. He was like, your sins have been forgiven and you've been blessed with the gift to spread his word. Mm. And I was just reminded of my prayer when I prayed at the retreat. God, let me know that my sins are forgiven. And yeah. here is this confirmation. Mind you, I've never spoken to this guy a day in my life. Now, this is what's going to blow your mind. Then he proceeded to say, I see, I sense the anger that you have uh, towards your father. Mm. And I've never spoken to, to this guy before. He doesn't know me from anywhere. And I'm, I just broke down into tears because growing up, me and my father, uh, our relationship was a bit estranged because uh, he had suffered uh, some, some mental illness um, and he had a breakdown and um Thank God, you know, God was able to perform healing in his life. And he's he's great now. He's fine. Mm. Uh, he, from that breakdown, he went on to go through med school and pass med school. And now he's a practicing physician. Wow. You know, it's just amazing. God's grace in that way. Yep. Um, but when I was younger, I didn't understand, you know, his illness. I didn't understand, you know, exactly what he was going through and why he wasn't able to engage me in the ways that I was looking for mm. um, at the time. And so anger built up there and I realized that I needed to let that go and when he said that I really surrendered that to to to, to the Lord and now me and my dad have a, a really good relationship which is amazing 
And, uh, you know, I saw that God was using that moment to really let me know that he is indeed really with me. Uh, the same God that delivered me from the gang life and all these different things is still with me and journeying with me and doing so many things for me to know that he is real. And even if he stopped doing things in my life today, I would still have to praise him mm. and give him the glory and worship him because of all that he's done for me thus far. And so after that, you know, I found myself at Eastern Nazarene College. And in my years there, I was really able to discern what exactly this call was that God uh, had placed on my life regarding ministry. And uh, I was able to discern that there's really a call to pastoral ministry. You know, I really have a heart for evangelism and in the midst of all that I'm doing, just really spreading God's word uh, as I really have been able to see that I've been gifted to do so mm. through God. And so I was able to learn a lot there. I was able to to really engage in uh, pastoral internships there and really gain practical experience and learn and grow uh, as I studied there as a religion major. Um, and I was able to even get involved in a local church up there in Boston, uh, Dorchester Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene under, under the leadership of Pastor Marcella Charles, who was a mentor to me. And, you know, after I graduated from ENC, I continued to serve at that church there um, as an associate pastor for youth and evangelism. And I remember uh, visiting New York, um, visiting home, and uh, my former senior pastor, uh, Dr. Sam Vassell, asked me about you know, thinking about coming back home and all of that. And I was really rooted in Boston. And so, and you know, I, I wasn't really thinking about coming back to New York at the time. Uh, but then the Lord actually began to, to, to tug on my heart and I began to pray about it. And I really did sense a leading to go back to New York. And I did. And so in the beginning of 2013, I, I moved back to New York and I took up the position uh, of youth pastor at the church. Uh, and I've been serving uh, in ministry there ever, ever since. And currently my role has shifted uh, to young adults pastor there, working with college and post-college young adults there. And it really has been an amazing time. And when I went back to New York, I, I started my, my, my degree with NTS online, Nazarene Theological Seminary, doing my MDiv mm. uh, with a certificate in cross-cultural ministries. And I'm, I'm, I'm on my last leg. And it really has been a learning experience. So as you can see, it's been quite a journey for me uh, to get uh, to, to where I am today. It really is amazing when I think about what God has been doing. I mean, it really blows my mind. I never thought I would be here doing what I'm doing. Um, and God has just uh, been able to, to use me. And I'm thankful for that, uh, for his glory uh, and to really connect with other churches and to, to really uh, spread his word, even in my community here. And the, the gang members that I've been involved with in the past, they respect what I'm doing. Um, and, you know, I continue to reach out to them for the, with the gospel. And we're seeing we're seeing transformations take place. And so, yeah, that is that is my call to, to, to ministry. That, that, that's my journey there. I, I love it. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Do you have maybe some stories you can tell about what life is like there as a young adult pastor um, in the Bronx and um, some stories that you I'm sure you have a lot. Yes, I would love to to share some stories. Well, you know, the, the young adult population is a very critical population. Um, you know, even in our church, there, there have been times where we've seen difficulty in terms of how do we actually 
get our young adults to, to be involved. Mm. Uh, me being a young adult myself, how what, what is it? Uh, we noticed that there were many of our, our young people that grew up in the church that have kind of left and are doing their own thing in their young adulthood now. And, mm. you know, even thinking about how, how do we actually engage them in a way that they want to come, they want to continue. They don't, they don't just see it as their parents' church, but they yeah. see it as, as, as their church. Um, and if there's one thing that I can say uh, that has been really beneficial and really, really powerful is this whole idea of, of relationships, um, authentic relationships, creating authentic relationships with people. I mean, it, it that that is what allows allows uh, young people, in particular young adults, to feel and anybody any in, in general to feel a part of uh, the, the the church and the movement. And so, I remember I was actually able to connect with a young adult. Um, interestingly, uh, I went on a, a, youth, a youth trip um, while I was working. We took some, some young people, both teens and young adults, uh, to a, a conference, a, youth, a, 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 a young conference, youth conference. And I met uh, a young man there. And it's, he, from, from the beginning, he seemed like he wanted to talk to me. And so mm-hmm. after that trip, we set up an appointment and he met me in the office and we began to talk. And as I began to, as we began to talk and I shared my story with him, just like I'm sharing with you now, um, his eyes began to, to light up. And what he was saying was he's never met somebody like me who is dressed down in the office, do, do, doesn't even look like a pastor, you know, ears, <laughs> pairs, tattoos, and he's like, well, you know, I've never met anybody like you before that could actually relate to what I, I've experienced in my life. And because mm-hmm. what 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 I what we came to find found, find out was that he was actually involved in the gang that I used to be involved in. And mm-hmm. he he knew some of the same gang members that I had grown up with. And, you know, so much so that he actually while we were meeting, he called uh, one of them. I knew and he was like do you know uh Pastor Shane or something like that um he's like oh yeah 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 I know him man much respect and he was just blown away that I actually know some of the same individuals (laughs) and that they respect me and that really encouraged him to see that he is actually able to give his life to Christ and be 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 protected by God if I'm able to do it He's able to do it. Yeah. And he gave his life to Christ. And I mean, yeah. he's he's now going to, and, and sharing the word with others and, and really mm. um, allowing his life to reflect Christ. And we have this thing. We call it Christ life. We call it okay. the Christ life movement. You know, we used to rep the blood of the streets. And now we're repping the blood of Jesus, mm. you know, and in the gang terminology, we would say bees up for blood up. But now we're saying Jesus for Jesus. <laughs> And so, you know, it's just amazing when I think about these, these, these stories. But really, you know, what I've been learning with our young adults as well is that when it comes to church, it's not business as usual. Um, you know, our methodology, you know, we have to be open uh, to coming outside of our comfort zone mm. regarding our method, methodology, even in terms of how we do church. Mm. Um, and in no way am I saying that we have to water down the gospel or change the gospel message. Not at all. We remain rooted on the word of God 100%. Mm. However, the, the methods are open. And I believe the Holy Spirit has given us creative ability 
to engage church even in new in new ways uh, mm. in terms of even how we do church. And so, you know, I always like to point out that the church is not a building with four walls. Uh, the yeah. church is made up of the people that sit in the pews. You you are the church, and we have to see ourselves that way. Church doesn't end after the service is over. Uh, we we are the church, and God Sundays are, are just a time for us to come together to celebrate mm. what God has been doing uh, throughout the, the 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 week, and to be re-energized, to continue to to go out there. And so, with that mindset, now uh, our ways of connecting with young adults are very interesting. I mean, even we 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 have small groups in our church, and we have been even challenged to think about how to do our small groups uh, in, in a way that may not have been traditionally done before. Mm. What about having a, a, a sports-related small group where there is an avenue there for people to come together who have a like-mindedness for a particular sport and incorporating the word um, in that in, in, in that fashion? And so with kind of these creative ways... Um, that we can engage what it looks like to to be in Christian community with one another in a way that we're growing. Mm. Um, even thoughts about implementing a midweek service. You mm-hmm. know, uh, some people work, some people don't have the opportunity to go to church on the weekend. Sure, uh, but may have opportunities at other times, even during the week. So engaging that, and we we see that our young adults uh, are are really. Uh, interested and, and and really give into some of these new ways as well too. Um, one of the things that we do at our church is we have uh, an event called the conversation, mm. and the conversation is a, a forum and an opportunity for us to discuss hot topics, topics that may be on our minds, and really hearing what God has to say about it, what God's word has to say about it, and it's really a safe place where people can come and share things you know, and be vulnerable and be authentic and not fear judgment and not fear that, that, that they're going to be looked at as weird or crazy. But it is, and we, we find that even non-believers are coming out to those things. And we find that it is an evangelistic leg as well because they're actually able to learn about God's word and, and receive opportunities to accept Christ. But one of the main things there is that genuine, authentic relationships are formed. Mm-hmm. And I would say that is critical for any church to really make sure that we are we are really not just doing church to do it, but we're really um, making an effort to connect with people even outside of the four walls of the church, mm-hmm. doing life with people because that's what Jesus did. Uh, so those are the, those are some things that come to mind. As it relates to stories of what what we're doing and and are connecting, uh, as I've been serving as a young adult pastor at the church. Are are there other examples of ways that you guys are thinking outside the box? Because I love that. I love the idea that the church needs to be a little more open-minded and think outside the box. What are some other things that you guys have been exploring? Right. So we actually have been partnering with a ministry called Theology. And and what it is, it is a creative arts-based platform where people can come and express through poetry, spoken word poetry, um, rap, dance, music, singing. Um, And we, we, 
at our church, um, I'm aware that not everybody may have the, the physical plant resources to do so many things, but there are creative ways you can do it. We have like a rooftop area. And what we've done is we've had like a service in collaboration with theology on our rooftop. And in our community, everybody is welcome to come. And we engage uh, our individuals in our church and our community through the expression of these creative arts. Um, and we've seen that community has been coming to those things and they really enjoy it. They really, they really love it. And we, we, we encourage people to, in the understanding of what it means to have a relationship with God. So not only, not only that, but um, also we have created an, an, a leg of our church that has allowed us to engage our communities in ways with the city, in ways that we may not have been able to do otherwise. So we, we created a non-for-profit called the Bronx Bethany Community Corporation. And through that, we run our after-school program, our summer camp. We also have a food pantry in partnership with the New York Food Bank. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen through these uh, intentional elements um, is that we're, we're not just simply a social service but we're actually able, again, going back to the relationships, being able to establish relationships with people in our, in our community in ways that now allow them to get connected to our local church mm. in a way that they're able to, to hear the gospel. And so we do it not necessarily with a hidden agenda, but we generally really want to get to know our community and get to know the people within our community, young people, young adults and all. And, and seeing that, you know, we want to hear their story, not just to add another number in the pew seat on a Sunday morning, yeah. but to get to really know and connect with people and to really genuinely show the love of Christ to people mm -hmm. and allow people to experience that love for themselves so that they uh, could live the abundant life that God desires for them to live mm -hmm. and to experience the transformation the transformational power of God, like I experienced in my life, that I want them to experience that joy. So, so yeah, you know, New York City is a very fast-paced environment. So, like I said, these creative things, it's a very creative place um, as well. Not saying that other places aren't creative. I'm sure they are. <laughs> but, you know, New York City is a very unique place. Uh, yeah. And the Bronx as well, we're at where we're at. And so, you know, I love it. I love this opportunity that I get to serve in ministry here. Um and really just see the different cultures here. It's really a culturally diverse place. Um, just meeting people. They say if you take if you if you hop on the train in New York City and you ride it from one end all the way to the other end of the train map, uh, you'll cross uh, so many different countries around the world mm -hmm. regarding the people that enter the train. And we, we see that. You know, our church is a multicultural church as well, too. And so just even the opportunity I get to, to, to learn about people and their different cultural experiences and seeing Christ at work in the midst of the diversity is really is really amazing. So those are some outside of the box things that we do. Uh, and I'm sure we were even thinking of more things that that, that we can do to, to connect with our community and to let them know that that, that we're there. So, yeah. What, okay, so what would you say are some things that you guys do to kind of cultivate that diversity, to nurture this idea that anybody can show up 
Or maybe a better question is, if you encountered a pastor whose church was in a pretty multicultural area, but the church itself wasn't very diverse, what advice might you give that person to kind of nurture and cultivate an atmosphere of um, hospitality and diversity where they are? Great question. Uh, and this, this is interesting because we recently had an event at our church that was really an open event for people to come and share about their culture, share about their mm. heritage in terms of where they've grown up. Um, if it's not the U.S., where their country of origin is mm. and to kind of share about how they've experienced God in their culture. Mm. Um, and, and even outside of having a culture night event like that i i am more interested and we as a church are more interested in allowing that to be a lifestyle in the church where we are appreciating the the diverse elements of our church Mm. 24 7 and so with that being said i think there we we do some unique things so one we have um one of our services that are in spanish because you know in the bronx uh, there's a high population of, 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 of Spanish uh, individuals, uh, Hispanic individuals. And so, you know, we have a service for them and we like to refer to it as where they can worship in their heart language mm. and then connect and feel welcome. And then there are times where we come together, we combine the services and we have translation uh, with that as well. So that they so that we really have the element that we are one body, one church here as well. And, and also taking the time to to highlight the other cultures that we have there, even in how we do worship. Um, worship is a very significant and important element. And so being able to engage worship in, in different ways is important because we get to see and hear uh, from different cultures in the midst of our worship and how we worship. And so... Just even allowing opportunities for that to to be a part. Um, Of course, going out into the community regarding our different evangelistic initiatives and and reaching different cultures is is an important factor regarding what we do. Hmm. Um, But I I think it it really just starts with the mindset of our congregants really being open and welcoming, knowing that this is a place for everyone. You know, our, our mission statement every Sunday we say, you know, Bronx Bethany is a spirit-filled community of love. Mm. And as we understand that, we understand that everybody is welcome here. Yeah, uh, It's a place for everyone where people mm. can experience the forgiveness of their sins and the cleansing of their hearts by faith in Christ Jesus. And we say that every Sunday, this is a place for everyone. And I think when you make that known uh, verbally, uh, audibly, and then follow up with that with your actions because mm. you know it's easy to say one thing yeah but your actions not match up to that yeah. but when your actions actually match up to that and people come and they they feel the warmth they feel the welcoming elements of the church it makes a difference the hospitality and really just embedding this in our the minds of our ushers you know embedding this in the minds of of our congregants is very very important so it starts with just really you know, from from within, having that that open mindset to people that this is not this is not a VIP club. This place is open to anybody who wants yeah. to come 
and to 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 no matter where you're from you can come and you can feel welcomed here and that we really care about you and that's the mindset uh, regarding our, our church i love the idea of the cultural night kind of helping people celebrate where they're from and how they grew up and kind of highlighting those things i, I also love the language of um heart language because we like to think oh you know we have the words in spanish up on the screen so that people will understand. But I, I wonder if in worship, sometimes it's not enough to understand. It's a desire to feel at home. Right. And having a service in that other language really facilitates that, or having songs in that other language to give people that heart space that feels like home. I like that. Right. It's important. You know, it. it's important because you don't want people to feel like they're afterthought. Right? You, you don't want people to, to feel um, like they're they're not being thought of or, mm. or, or they're not valuable. And so it gives people a sense of belonging and it allows them to connect with God in a way that is not restricted for them and, and, and in a way that is that is really authentic for them or an mm. authentic experience for them. And it's easier. They don't have to read, you know, translation on the screen. They they, they, they know what it's about. So, so yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. Mm. Yeah. Talk to me about what the practicalities of your job look like. So most people, when you he- we hear youth pastor, we sort of have an idea in our heads of what that person does and what the job looks like but i'm just curious for you now that you've kind of evolved to this uh, other position that you're you're doing what has changed what stayed the same or or maybe even what are the typical things that you do on any given week or month what does it look like to be a young adult pastor how do you navigate that right well it is multifaceted um one of the things that I love, well, it's unique to your local church as well, too, in terms of what it looks like. Sure. Um, my, so we really are just reconstructing how we do ministry at our church. Um, and we are in a pastoral transition right now, and so we're trusting God for who the next senior pastor will be. Our, our recent, our former senior pastor was elected uh, district superintendent, and so mm-hmm. we are in a pastoral transition. But what we've understood as we've even had uh, relationships with consultants um, is that our church uh, the target audience uh, for our church right now is really uh, the 35 year old young adult family and we want to mm. we want to shift everything that we do to be focused on reaching that because if you can reach that specific uh, element of people, we're reaching the younger and the older as well. And so mm. making ourselves look in a way that is uh, meaningful and making ourselves, uh, the way that we're presenting ourselves is, is not outdated, but, but, but really in a way that can connect with people in the generations now, uh, which is important. And so with that being said, it allows my, my job right now to be uh, even more fulfilled uh, as uh, everything that we're doing as a church now, it relates to what I, what I'm doing or what what I think would be um, uh, best as it relates to how we're carrying out 
ministry. So with that being said, my role uh, has been divvied up into different components because the young adult uh, population um, is vast. Mm. You have, I mean, 19-year-olds all the way up to 35, and that's a big, big age gap because you have people who are just going into college, then you have post-college individuals who Mm. have started families, young families, totally, totally different elements. So there's some intentionality on my part in terms Mm. of how I engage uh, the ministries. So obviously, um, you, there are churches who have college pastors. So I'm kind of kind of doing like both, you know, co- focusing on college as well as post-college. Yeah. And so, I mean, some of the typical things that I do um, are one, to keep tabs um, on our college students who are away. Mm. And then we have college students who are going to community college mm. here, who have the the ability to be involved in the local church life as opposed to those who've gone away who are not necessarily able to do that. And so for me, uh, having kind of consistent connections with those who are away and even creative elements of how they can still tune in to what we have going on in the life of our church in creative ways. Mm. And so one of the things that we've explored is Zoom Bible studies, um, doing that with them. Also, um, having them tune in on our live stream elements um, as well. And, and just really having a team of people um, who are reaching out to them hmm. um, and, and people who are really connecting with them, praying for them, sending them things that they need. And so that kind of goes with the discipleship for the college student element. Uh, for the post-college now, it also involves, you know, opportunities of learning uh, that I work on. Uh, you know, what does it look like, you know, in terms of um, dealing with young families, balance, boundaries, all those kind of things. Mm. Like I said, I I highlighted one of the things that I work on uh, in terms of the conversation event that gives people, uh, young adults, an opportunity to engage what they're thinking and how they're thinking. And of course, small groups. So practically having small groups outside of meeting my meetings that I have one-on-one with them, uh, facilitating uh, small group initiatives where we're covering different topics where young adults can come. Some of them are for singles. Some of them are for married couples, uh, but really just engaging in those different things as well. And then part of my, my job, uh, sometimes I'm in meetings with, with, with other churches, um, with schools, um, city city meetings, all these different things. Um, so, it, I mean, it fluctuates uh, week to week. Obviously, you know, as it relates to uh, logistics, I on paper, you know, they say, uh, you know, 40 hours a week. But obviously, it's more than that. We're always on the clock. Yeah. Um, and so part of that, too, is making sure that I, I have my proper boundaries to take care of myself mm. in the midst of everything that I'm doing and how mm. I'm serving. But um, so so those are just some of the few elements in terms of what what my thoughts are mm. on as it relates to my weekly ins and outs as serving in the young adult uh, thing. The 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 transition uh, has been interesting because I'm still in relationship with the teens as well too. Obviously, the teens when they graduate, they're going to be coming into my group, and so we have um, 
NYI president, Nazarene Youth International president right now that's dealing with uh, the high school level and then me with the young, young adults. And, we, you know, we work hand in hand. And uh, so it's a, a smooth, easy transition mm. uh, as well. So, yeah. Talk to me about, um, you mentioned boundaries. Talk to me about that, those boundaries. If you have anything specific, rules of life, let's say, to cultivate a sense of well-being and self-care in, among a job that is so on all the time. How do, you, how do you work on those things and what sort of boundaries do you put in place for yourself? Well, uh, I put my phone on silent when when it's time for bed so I don't get mm. disturbed uh, try not to answer calls after a certain time just so that I could get the adequate amount of sleep that that I need um, I also uh, on a personal note I also try to make sure I'm healthy in terms of how I'm eating um, drinking water just uh, making sure that I am in a healthy state so that I can actually give out of a healthy environment um, in that regard. Also, in terms of having the ability of understanding that it's okay to say no. Yeah. Because I used to say yes a lot of times, accepting all kinds of responsibilities to my detriment. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm not able to adequately, adequately fulfill what I've agreed to, the person who I've agreed with is frustrated. I'm frustrated. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not going to work. So I learned to really commit to the things that I know I can commit to. Yeah. And knowing that I don't have to feel bad of saying no when somebody asks me to do something because I am, I can't just deplete myself and I have to operate out of a place of wholeness. Mm. And in order for me to be whole, I have to make sure that I'm giving out of uh, a healthy space, if you will. Mm. And so those are some things that I'm very intentional about when it comes to boundaries. And obviously, I'm still growing, still growing in it uh, in terms of my balance and my rhythm um, and whatnot. And so... I would really, really recommend that. And even also Sabbath is important. Um, just taking time, uh, whether it's a day you take from your week week, week schedule uh, or a, a specific block of time during, during the day, um, just spending that time outside of studying to prepare sermons, outside of just the study element, but just taking some time to just spend before God and just mm. listen, just listen to God, listen to what he has to say yeah. uh, to us and just living in that moment and allowing that to be your fuel regarding what you do and why you do what you do, I think is important because sometimes it'll be so easy to just be full and busy and just be full of stuff to do as it relates to ministry. But I once heard a quote, by an uh, individual by the name of Roman Barabokin. And he said, never compromise your relationship with Jesus Christ to do work for Jesus Christ. And so mm. I, I believe that God wants us to, 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 to nurture our relationship with him yeah. in a way that allows us to give and to serve in ministry holistically uh, and wholeheartedly as well. Mm. That's beautiful. I love that. 
let me zoom out a little bit and ask you kind of the last question that I ask everybody, which is what is it that gives you hope for the future of the Church of the Nazarene? And what is it that's keeping you here? Good question. Well, for me, uh, what has really grabbed my attention is this whole understanding of, of the ability to live a victorious life of freedom mm. through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, when I think about that, obviously, we refer to it as holiness or the holy living mm. and, and, and this message that we have. I mean, from a practical experience and a personal experience with me, I come from a place, and I'm sure many others can relate, where it's a lot of bondage, a lot of brokenness, a lot of, you know, enslavement, a lot, a lot of, a lot of hardship, and to see the possibility of a God who is able to break the chains off of our lives mm. so much so that we can actually live in freedom and we don't have to be a slave to bondage and sin and evil and those kind of things but we can actually walk through the power of the holy spirit that message is a message that i subscribe to and that is as i've understood that as the heart of our denomination I'm committed to preaching that because that's what I experienced in my life. Mm. And I just want to see people free. I want to see people walking in victory, you know, over their circumstances. Uh, I, w I want to see it. And so I believe that that is what has kept me here and, and why I'm continuing to remain as a leader in this denomination and subscribe because I believe in the heart message of what it stands for and mm. that 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 is my my thought as it relates to that mm -hmm. mm. that's great thanks for that um if somebody is curious about something you've said or they want to catch up with you where can they reach you how can they find you well they could find me i am on social media you can go to my instagram young nazarene 223 on Instagram, I am on Facebook, Shane Burt Miller. My last name is hyphenated, and you could find me there. And um, yeah, you could find, you could email me. My, my email address is shane.s as in sugar, dot Burt Miller, no hyphen there, at gmail.com. Reach out to me. And yeah, make myself available uh, to whoever would like to speak to me more about anything that I've said. Uh, during this time. Mm, that's great. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for coming on the show. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you. Hey, we're interrupting this outro to bring you a story from the TNL podcast voicemail. See, we could never possibly interview every young pastor in the Church of the Nazarene, so we've made a way that you can get involved and tell us the story of your Nazarene life. For more information about leaving us a voicemail, check out thisnazlife.com slash contact. Today's story is from Carrie Roberts in Norman, Oklahoma. Hey, my name is Carrie Roberts, and I'm currently serving at the Norman Community Church of the Nazarene as the youth leader. And I want to answer the question on how I became, how I became part of the Nazarene Church. 
And that is because I broke my best friend's finger. I came from a broken home, and this girl I met did not, and I was very jealous of what she had. And I ended up breaking her finger, and her mother didn't want anything her to have anything to do with me. But because her mother took her to church and she saw what Jesus could do for others, she told her mother that I needed Jesus. And so that that family started driving me to a Nazarene church in Falls Valley, Oklahoma. And that went on for about 12 years until I became 18 and or 16 and I could take myself. And then things just went from there and I felt God's call and I've worked to be um, a pastor at the Norman Community Church of the Nazarene.